Blog Talk Radio. After the death of Solomon, God divided the kingdom of Israel into two houses. There were ten tribes in the northern kingdom known as the Lost Tribes of Israel. They were cast out into the world because of their great sin against God. However, God promised in the last days He would gather these lost tribes back to Israel before the return of our Lord. Unknowingly, some of the churches made up of these lost tribes knows the house of Ephraim. God is now calling them to prepare to come back home to the land He gave our fathers. The call to prepare has been sounded. and Shalom. This is your host, Mark Reinbold, and this is the House of Ephraim show today. We do have with us from Mount Carmel, Illinois, Prophet Tom Deckard. But first, a word from our announcers. And now, from Cradle of Hope are some important announcements for you. This month, from Cradle of Hope is a must-have gift offer, the transition of the church. God has transitioned the church since the days of the book of Acts. Don't miss out on this last and greatest move of God. Jesus Christ is returning for a church full of power and glory. This transition will bring the church forward. Send a gift of $25 or more. Call today and get free shipping if you ask for the Transition of Church gift offer. Call 618-262-2810 or go online at jewishprofit.com. Send a gift of $25 or more and ask for the Transition of the Church gift offer. Welcome back in this show. It's Mark Reinbolt. Got a couple announcements to make before we get going here with our great, great show we have in, in store for you. I just want to remind everyone that we do have a website, www.jewishprofit.com. That's www.jewishprofit.com. And for all you uh, new people out there, maybe the first time that you've been on, please check that website out. You're going to find out who we are, and you're going to get a hold of a lot of material that you've never seen before. And you want to check that material out because you're going to start to learn the Word of God. And I'm telling you what, what a great opportunity that is. We also have a quarterly coming up here, and you can get more information about that by clicking on the itinerary button on the front page there in the upper left-hand corner and find out what the quarterly and where it's going to be. It's going to be over in Fairfield, Illinois, out what we call lovingly the Corn Patch. And you can be a part of that and begin to learn the material straight from the throne room of God And I'm telling you what, that is a great opportunity, folks. So grab a hold of this and begin to prepare and to plan and get yourself down here and find out for yourself what's going on, and you can become part of this last day move of God, the House of Ephraim. And again, you can get all that information out at the website, www.jewishprophet.com. We also have fellowships available online. So, you know, if you're out there and you don't have a local fellowship or or you want to begin to learn about the material and begin to plug in with the material. Not only do we have this blog every day, but we also have fellowships available online. That's via Ustream.tv, and we have one on Friday night. I teach one myself Friday night. You can become part of that. There's also a Wednesday midweek service, and we teach only the prophet's material so that you're assured of learning the right material at the right time. What an opportunity. Again, that all is. So, again, if you don't already have a fellowship in your area or you just are interested in learning more about what's going on, please consider joining up with that 
and you can get more information just by emailing us at cradle at jewishprophet.com. That's cradle at jewishprophet.com. And just say, hey, I'd like to sign up for that Shabbat service that Mark was talking about, and certainly love to get you hooked up. If you want to do it just by the telephone, we can do that also. And you can give the office a call, 618-262-2810, and find out more about that also. Like I said earlier, we do have with us from Mount Carmel, Illinois, Prophet Tom Duggard. We have used this for the for the context of all these uh, pieces of teaching that we have done in the previous weeks. So let's let's go there because this is what this is all about. Galatians 5:22 says this: "But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is." No law. Now, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you a number of things this morning to be able to put down in those notes because we are going to cover both the fruit meekness and the fruit temperance. And I, I really get a kick out of the way God does things. He starts this thing out with love. And as we taught you in the beginning, because the very first fruit is love, that every one of these fruit have love within it. Is wrapped around love. And then when it gets down to ending up with meekness and temperance, I think you're going to be able to understand when we get done this morning. Now, true meekness is not a slave like sub submission. All right? Now, I'm going to try to, try to uh, uh, explain that, not now, but I want to make that statement, and then we will explain it as we go through this this morning. True meekness is not a slave like submission. Praying to be more like Jesus will cause meekness to come into our lives. And that's the whole key to this thing. That your walk, my walk, everybody else's walk that's got Jesus in their lives is to be more like Jesus. And the only way for that to work in our lives is not be content that because Jesus has come into your hearts, into your spirit, man, that it's all over, that I've, I've got all there is to have. Well, uh, again, you've got all there is to have as far as eternity goes, all right? But you need to understand to be more like Jesus, you are going to have to step out in faith, and you're going to have to every day, you're going to have to produce more in your life toward being more like Jesus than you did yesterday. And if you're not willing to do that, and, and unfortunately in the church, my brothers and sisters, we've got too many people that are sitting back thinking that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them and cause them to be more like Jesus. There is no scriptural evidence that that's going to happen in your walk. Now, you're more like Jesus because of what's happened in the spirit realm and the change that happened and it instantly happened. But we're talking about you being here and the right here and now on the face of this world walking every day with Jesus in your heart. That has to be something that you have to change, and that change is going to have to come about a little time. Simply looking at it like this. When you were saved, born again, you weighed no less you weigh no more. In my case, my hair didn't grow in, all right? Uh, my thoughts, you know, uh, contrary to popular belief, all the thoughts I had uh, that were wrong uh, didn't all leave. And if they did, they kind of crept back in about a week or so. And that is the honest part of all of it. Uh, many of us think, well, when I got saved, I quit this and I quit that. You should. 
But the understanding, and you have to understand that, that's what's happened to so many, so many Christians because they were told, now you're saved, you no longer will. Drink, smoke, uh, 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 chew, cuss, uh, uh, look at men, look at women, whatever the case would be, opposite sex, let's put it that way, because if you're looking at the same sex, you definitely need to deliver to that. Uh, uh, so, but that didn't change. The only thing that changed about you receiving Christ is your spirit man, your inner being. And it's now sealed for eternity with Christ. All right? The renewing of your mind's a real process. It has to happen. It's not going to happen because you speak in other tongues, and it's not going to happen because you have dreams and visions. It's going to happen because you get yourself into the Word of God, and you begin to let this fruit be produced in your life. Okay? That's the way it's going to happen. I, I think, again, uh, 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 spirituality is a thing that we hear a lot about. And, and oh, that, that one's so spiritual, or this one over here is so spiritual. I don't believe... Uh, Truly, in my own walk with Jesus and what I've seen in these years, that I don't know how you define the word spirituality. I think I find people more, I see more scriptural people than other people being scriptural. And if that's spirituality, then let it be. But as far as how it comes about, none of it comes about except a lot of years into the Word of God. And doing more than just hearing the Word, folks, it's being a doer of it, which I think we're about to get to here in James 1.22, if you'll turn there. Okay? James 1.22. In fact, I think we used this here uh, very recently, I think here, uh, maybe a week or so ago here in the church. Be you doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. And that's really what we're doing, and most of us never really meditate that 22nd verse enough. We in the church, you, you need to, if you're not in the meditation of the word of God, you need to begin to do that. Uh, you need to have a time of study. You need to have a time of meditation. The time of meditation should be a time when you take a scripture and you begin to sit down and think about what does it mean to be doers of the word and not hearers only. What does it mean, the fact that that calm is there saying, deceiving your own selves? If you'll spend some time, and you don't have to be highly intelligent in any means, shape, or form, to meditate God's word to see what it truly is saying to you for that particular time, for that particular moment in time, all right? And it's simply saying here that we're deceiving ourselves, thinking that all we have to do is hear. My brothers and sisters, full gospel churches are full of people that hear. I, we spent years evangelizing, seeing churches full of people that had heard that healing's for today, has heard that prosperity is for the church, has heard that they don't need it to be down and out. But the fact of the matter is, we were in churches and big churches full of people that had all those problems and a bunch of others to go with them. Those people had never become doers. All they simply were was hearers. Oh, yes, faith. I know all about faith. Well, if we knew all about faith, why don't we see faith working any more than we see faith working within the church? And the reason is because we have been hearers. Why? Because when the teaching ministry came, now first there's the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. All right, in the body, and that's the fivefold ministry we call. That, that set by God, anointed by God to the church. Now, uh, for years, we accepted uh, the fact of the pastor. As I uh, told some of you, you need to go home in the book of Acts, and you'll not find where the, the, a pastor was set over any churches. And that's an alarming thing, folks, when you start studying and, and begin to realize that maybe man got the pastor way, way out in left field by putting him in charge of the church. 
And I'm not here trying to dictate to you one way or the other, but I'm just saying you be interested to study to find out how they set the churches up. How were yeah, pastors were brought up within them. I don't have any problem with that. But the role that we have let the pastor play in the church has come to a place of the role of the apostle and the prophet. And that's not to be. There's no there's no anointing in a pastor to be that of a prophet or an apostle. All right? Uh, unless God's bringing him up through the ranks. And if he is, then that's a different story. But nevertheless, not, not in that way. Now, when we begin to realize, when we begin to understand that with that fivefold ministry, we wanted to be taught. And the charismatic movement, what they had to do was go out, get little buildings like this, and begin to set aside, and we begin to see people come in from the Baptists and the Catholics and the Lutherans and all this, and it all came together, and then churches sprung up out of that, and they went out and built big buildings and got in debt like most of the rest of the ministry was in debt. And then all of a sudden, people that wanted to be taught came out from those churches to be taught, and that basically what it caused the charismatic church to uh, to raise itself up on the face of this earth. Now, being taught, and, and everybody wants to be intelligent. Our problem today is is here. It's a mind thing. If I can get enough intelligence of God's Word here, as I keep saying, the problem is the intelligence isn't the mind. Within the mind, the intelligence is understanding and letting your spirit, because your first spirit. Secondly, mind, which is part of the soulish realm. Thirdly, body. Spirit, soul, and body, and it's in that order. And and the church has been so uh, so... Uh, stupid about being able to understand the difference between the spirit and the soul that we have we have badly fumbled that badly we have fumbled it but nevertheless we want to be taught so we got into it and we got all this charismatic thing that's rolled around now here for a number of years and now we're so we're so taught and so intelligent in the word of God but I'm going to tell you something about all that intelligence that we've got in the word of God people are still stupid when it comes to the spirit and people are completely ignorant when it comes to the power of God's Word working in their lives. So what we have done, we're ever learning, what did the Bible say? But never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's exactly where the church is at today. We're ever learning. Dear God in heaven, we'd go in with tape recorders and we'd take notes and we'd have the concordances and we'd get all that stuff strung out and there we'd take all these notes and we'd take all these notes and we'd take all these notes and then we'd go home and throw the notes over in the corner and say, Woo, wasn't that wonderful what we learned? And it was all a head game. It's not head knowledge, folks. Head knowledge will do you very little good when it comes to your walk with Jesus Christ. It is a heart work, and that heart, because the kingdom of God is within your heart. And if you don't get it right here, the rest of it is wrong. In other words, the thing with the heart is the thing that's important. If your heart's in it, you're going to get it done. If your mind's in it, you're going to be a flake. And that's all there is to it. You can talk a good stick, you can act a good stick, you can dance a good stick. But if your heart's not there, folks, you're just going to end up just showing, you're just, as I keep saying, I watch and I, I, I'm going to, I'll do something here before long talking about spiritual growth. I'll take you from the baby stage to the adulthood within it in the Word of God. And what I keep saying is there's too much of the church still wearing diapers. Too much of the church. People have been, should know better, should have grown. But because of their spirituality, overrode their scripturality, and that's exactly what happens. They're, they let themselves become scriptural, uh, scriptural very little, and spiritual a whole lot. And folks, that will not work in this walk. It will not work. Now, I have said for years, this is a this charismatic thing is a runaway train. It's a runaway train. I don't know that we can get it stopped. 
because we have got this thing so far out in left field now, and I, there's no guidelines to it. Here, God in heaven, you, you get out here and get around these people, they get called to God one day and they try to preach the six weeks later or two days later or whatever it is, and they're not only not capable of leading people, they can't, they can't even follow the word themselves. But yet all of a sudden, because it's in their life, and I'm not saying maybe the call of God's not in their life, what I'm saying is there's no guidelines in the charismatic movement. We're bringing up, we're bringing up preachers and, and then don't even know how they're being brought up. Most people don't even care if they got a, if they've got the right mode or the right cast from themselves as that of a pastor or that of an evangelist, we really don't care. Uh, because, we, you know, we look at him, well, that looks just like, that, that guy, he looks like a preacher. He acts like a preacher. He, you know, his mannerism is that of a preacher. He must be a preacher. That goes back to the same thing. That's where all the stupidity is within the church. There's more to looking like and acting like, folks. It's being called of God and being brought up just the way they brought him up in the book of Acts so that they understand what ministry is all about. Just this week, had another brother in Christ run off with a woman, a pastor. That, bless God, run off, run off with some woman in the congregation. Now, what does that tell us? Well, I'll tell you what it tells us. It tells us how cockeyed, flaky this whole charismatic movement is, is what it tells us. It's because people are getting behind pulpits before their time and have not set under ministry that will see to it to get delivered. And that's what it's all about. And when you set under a good ministry that can understand the Spirit, I'm going to tell you something. And I've, I brought more than one of them preachers in and set them down, and I'm going to, and I told them, you get that lust out of your life for other women, or I'll never pour oil on you. Now, you can get it out one of two ways. You can come up front tonight in service, and I'll cast that stinking demon out of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Or you can pray, and you can handle it yourself. But I'm going to tell you, until God shows me you've been delivered of it, we're not going to go through that. I'm not, I'm not going to lay that uh, on you. Now, when they leave and what they do with it, then that's their problem. But at least they ain't going to leave without me confronting them. And there's never been one to get under my ministry that, that's had that problem. That even if it's rose up afterwards, I can't say Brother Decker brought me in and set me down and told me that my problem was that. And I better get help from God. But unless we're going to do that kind of stuff, folks, we're just letting everything just go rampant. Everything's got to, everything has to have a check and balance to it within ministry. And the charismatic movement doesn't have any. And that's really the, where the danger's at. And that's the reason, really, that's the reason why I keep saying, that's the reason that, that now that you're seeing, and I'm sure that everybody in this room knows somebody that came out of a, out of a known uh, uh, organization such as the Baptist, the Lutheran, the Catholic, the Methodist. That's the reason there's an influx now uh, of them going back into those organizations. And the reason we're seeing an influx of them going back from the charismatic movement into that organization is because we did not teach the right way of the Word of God coming into their lives. We got one of these whoop-de-doop-de-doo deals of we're all spiritual and look at us. And it's turned people back into the same thing they thought they were coming out of. Now, what does that bring? It brings confusion to the church, and confusion is never God. Say amen. Let's go now, if you will, or let's take some more notes, and then I've got another scripture or two here. Meekness is, number one, submissiveness, submissiveness of spirit, Submissiveness of spirit, number two, does not lift itself up in opposition. And you might put never does lift itself up in opposition. Three, it bends like a reed before the storms of life, and it will do it every time. It will not break. Four, is not easily provoked. Can't provoke somebody that's working and, and, and producing meekness. You can't provoke them. Why? Because they're going to love you, 
And the other thing of it is, these people that bless God, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, the storms of life are real. Uh, the, the challenges of life are real. They're going to come in all of our lives. Sometimes they come more than once in our lives. But the fact of the matter is, and the understanding of all of it is, it'll bend, but it won't break. A reed will not break, but it will bend. You have to learn to bend. You've got to learn to bop and weave and, and do everything else in the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, to be able to walk and, and understand meekness. But it's there. But it, it never it never breaks, and it never it never uh, uh, will lift itself up in opposition. True person walking in meekness is will never will never bring itself to place of saying, "I showed you, didn't I?" Whether it's out of their mouths or in their hearts, will never do that. Those are the people. The, the, these are the people that I personally have the greatest admiration for. Because these people truly have a piece of Christ that few people will ever know that are in Christ. Because they are capable of walking in an area and meaning it. Like I said in earlier, uh, we talked about love. There's a lot of people say, I love you in Jesus. They don't care whether you live or die tomorrow morning when it comes down to it. It's just a thing to say. It's something that, it's just something for them to, them, them, that you're supposed to say that if you're a Christian, okay? Well, I agree that if you keep saying it, sooner or later, if you start hearing it, it'll get in your spirit. And that's, I guess that's the way we've got to look at that. Now, Jesus exhibited meekness, and if you look in Philippians 2, Philippians 2, we're going to look at Philippians 2, the fifth verse, that this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ, now this Philippians 2, Five, who being in the form of God, that thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, death even the death of the cross. Now that's, uh, hmm, uh, what would that be? Would that be the height of meekness? I suppose so. And all of that there, and, and again, it doesn't wouldn't hurt you to read that once or twice a day for a while to begin to realize the the, the meekness that, that Christ Himself produced uh, while here. Now in Acts seven, if you look there, we're going to see uh, uh, some meekness that's worked here by by Stephen, which I think most of you know the story of Stephen. But anyway, in Stephen seven fifty nine. It says, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord uh, Jesus, receive my spirit. I, I read that wrong. I better get the commas in the right place. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord, receive, the Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, the 60th verse says, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, which means he died. Now, I don't know how many of you would find it very capable. I know as, a, as our Christian walk, we all say, well, that was the Christian thing to do. But stop and think about that. What if that was you? And because of the way that you ministered and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, the knowing church was going to take you out and stone you, put you to death. Now, uh, you really uh, probably having the last fleeting few seconds of your flesh being alive on the face of this earth, uh, 
most of us wouldn't be concerned about saying, Lord, forgive them of their sins, for they know not what to do. Most of us may be smart enough to say, Lord God, if there be any sins, known or unknown in my life, uh, that need to be forgiven, forgive them through the name of Jesus. There may be a very, very few of us that would get to that point, but there would even be fewer or less that would get to the point of saying, uh, Lord, forgive them of their sins. That's, uh, again, meekness at a, at a height that uh, uh, I don't know, uh, and I don't think any of us in any point in our life can know what we would do in any given situation unless we were there at that time. Uh, just what we think we would do and what we think that we uh, are going to do are two different things. And uh, there again, they're just until you're there, until you're there walking in those shoes, you can't. That's the reason I, I'm, I'm certain that we're told by Jesus himself, judge not, lest you be judged. You cannot know. Folks, you can't know what it's like to run a church until you've ever run a church. It's easy to sit where you're sitting and tell me what I ought to do. But if you were here uh, nine times out of ten, you'd make more mistakes than I ever thought about making after this many years I've been in it, see? But everybody has an opinion about something, and everybody thinks that they're right about something. But you don't know until you – in fact, I'd done a piece of ministry a few years ago about walking until you walk in someone else's shoes. Uh, and I will probably be doing it in this church before too many more months anyway, uh, so that you can get the idea of, of trying to understand why you cannot put yourself in somebody else's situation. You can pray for that situation, and you can pray for those people that's in that situation, but unless you have truly gone through, the, 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 the greatest help within counseling is, and, I, and I, I believe the day will come, and I know it will in this church, when we've got people that come in to this church that are needing help, and maybe they're going to need help with drugs, maybe they're going to need help with alcoholism, maybe they're going to need help with marriages, maybe they're going to need help because they're, they fight depression or oppression. Maybe they're going to need help because of a business and finances. Maybe they're going to need help because of this or that. A church is no stronger than the people in it. You will hear me say over and over again, a church is not a preacher. A church is people. It takes the preacher because it's scriptural. But the preacher isn't the church. A church isn't any better or any worse than the people that's in it. Now, when a church is strong, and it just simply means this, when a church truly is strong working by the Word of God, there are people that have overcome. Now, I want you to please listen to this closely. Success with church is when there is people that have come into that organization called a church, which is under the auspices and only the auspices of Jesus Christ as the head cornerstone of that church. Now, when they come into that with the problems that they have, and they have come out from under those problems, and they now are walking above those problems, those people can be a use into God's kingdom. And the reason they can be a use into God's kingdom is when then the next bunch of people come in and they have problems, then I'm going to say, now look, I'm going to tell you something. I don't counsel in this area uh, unless I have to because I've never walked in this area, but we've got a brother and sister in this church that has. I'm going to set you up with them. I want you to counsel with them. I want you to, I want you to understand because they've been through this. They've overcome this. Folks, that's where real ministry, the reason I believe that my ministry is effective from the pulpit is that I have lived and experienced enough of what I'm doing here that I can effectively teach it, that I know that it works because I made it work in my life, not until we tried to do, as a lot of you have tried to do, just think that it was all going to fall down on us one day because we'd had a vision and a dream and we were so spiritual. 
until we come to the point of understanding that it wasn't the way it was going to work, we were a mess. And I'll guarantee you it's as big a mess as anybody else has ever been. Because we were in one day and out the next day, up one day and down the next day. Jesus Christ wasn't the head of our household. Jesus Christ was not the head of our lives. We said he was, but he wasn't. And that's where the whole thing gets itself cockeyed and it gets out of, completely out of proportion. Now, when you, when you begin to understand strength within the church, then you'll understand why we don't need big numbers until we get the numbers we got solid. You can understand that. That's the reason I said you, you, you can't, uh, you can't uh, build a church when you get people decide to come every other service or ever ever two services or once a month. That's not what builds churches. Churches are built out of, and I'm getting ready to do that, and I'll be doing it the next, uh, probably next within the next month. I'm going to teach you the difference between sheep, goats, and wolves, and you're one of the three. You're either a sheep, you're either a true sheep of God, or you're a goat, or you're a stinking wolf. And that's exactly, and I don't care, you can call yourself Christian, Holy Ghost filled, talking in tongue Christian, you fall in one of those three categories. Every church has them, and the problem of it is you're in a church here that was going to get rid of every one of the wolves. I'll run them off eventually, and I'll guarantee you the goats are either going to transform themselves into sheep, or they're going to be a, a looking across the fence like they always do anyway for greener pastures. Can't keep a goat confined, you know, he's always wanting to get out. out. Sheep will stay right, stay right there in that area and feed right where you got them. That goat's going to jump out of that fence every time he gets a chance. You'll find it very interesting when we do that. Uh, now, let's look now at the promises to the meek, okay? And, uh, of course, a good place to start in Matthew 5, 5. Let me, let me suggest something to you. If you, if you, maybe you've been saved, filled with the Holy Ghost for years, but if you have never lived, if you have never lived in 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, if you've never lived in that, I'm talking about just sit down and, and eat of that, and eat of that, and eat of that every day, I would suggest, if you're having some problems with your walk, I would suggest that you back up and every day you read 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And you read it every night. You go back and read it every day. If you can only read one chapter, in other words, just, just go through those three chapters. Because I'm going to tell you, folks, the essence of your walk lies within 5, 6, and 7. People all the time come in and say, well, now I've just got saved. I'm going to start in the book of Genesis. I said, that's wonderful. But when you get tired of reading in Genesis, especially when you get to all the big gats and gats and big gats and who got and who got and who ought to had, you get tired of reading all that, then get 5, 6, 7 of Matthew. And read it over and over, every day, over and over and over. Say, oh, I get tired of reading the same thing. Good. Because what? Because we're trying to teach you how the Word of God works. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Read it out loud. Well, I don't know whether I can do that. Sure you can. Go out in the backyard, huh? go in the bedroom, shut the door, go in and sit on the pot if that's what it takes and shut the door. Read it out loud. Read it so you can hear it because if you'll begin to hear it, sooner or later it's going to get into your spirit, man, and you'll start trying to live it. But most of us are too interested in listening. Revelation, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Hmm? You better leave that to the prophets and you better understand that you won't understand it anyway. And you better just get into, you just better get into something that will manifest itself within your walk and bring you forth. Now, I'm still trying to find 5.5. Five. It says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It doesn't say they might, but they shall. And folks, when you, now listen, when you start looking into and understanding what it means to inherit the earth, it means the blessings of the Lord God that are here upon this earth. You're going to inherit them. 
But it's the meek that's going to do that. And that's the reason, as I said, it's always interesting the way God does things because he left meekness and temperance to the last of this. Started it with love, and then he left meekness and temperance to the last of it. Uh, now, uh, you can also, if you will, uh, Psalms 147. Psalms 147. The sixth verse. The Lord lifted up the meek. He causeth the wicked down, he casteth, I'm sorry, the wicked down to the ground. But the Lord lifted up the meek. He shall always lift up the meek. See, that's the reason when the, we, the meek are capable of turning the other cheek, okay, it gets to piling coals. When you're doing good to those that have done evil to you, you're piling coals. See, you're doing it spiritually. You're doing it spiritually. I have watched. In fact, I, this, just this week there was a, a situation that come up. Somebody come brought us something about somebody had been around the ministry uh, for a while. And we watched it for years. Uh, God takes care. And only does he take care of in accordance with the way that you're walking with him. And, and this thing with meekness is a guarantee, folks, that he is going to take care of it. Uh, the meek shall be exalted is probably one of the best ways of putting it. They will be exalted. In Psalms 25, 9, there's something else here you need to see. Psalms 25, 9. It says here, the meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. Well, I'm going to tell you what, that's exciting. That's exciting. He's going to guide in judgment, and he's going to teach his way. He'll teach the meek. The meek, the meek, the meek. See how important it is to, to uh, we get, we get to putting all the importance, folks, in the wrong areas. Become meek. Produce the fruit meek in your life and let it become you in your life and become your life and look what you got. But it's real. You, you, you produce meekness, things are going to look a lot different to you. Look in 2919 of Isaiah. 2919 of Isaiah. It says here, the meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Now look, the meek shall also receive, increase their joy in the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. Meek people, uh, they know that the joy of the Lord is their strength. Okay? They know that. And I'm going to tell you what. It's exciting. Meekness is reality. All right? Now we don't try to deal a lot with realities. In a spirit movement, now we're, we're dealing here with it because meekness is reality. Those people look at it and they handle it as a way that it is, knowing that they can call those things which be not as though they were in the name of Jesus Christ. That they know in whom they have trusted, that, that, that the Lord God is more than able to give unto them or to deliver to them that which he's promised on that day. They know that. And there's a, there, a, the, the meat just, well, they'll flabbergast you when you get around them. All things which come to us in our everyday lives show whether or not we have meekness in our hearts. And the next time, the next time, and every day you get a chance to produce meekness. Every day in your life, whether it's your wife, your husband, your kids, your, the person at work, the person down the street, the person at the local stoplight, Huh? The grocer at the grocery store, the checkout kids, what? You're going to every day get a chance to produce meekness. Now, whether you produce that meekness or not, there again, what I see it as is God giving us the opportunity to be blessed. He's given us the opportunity to be blessed 
by giving us the, the, the chance or the opportunity to produce meekness towards somebody else. All right? Now, God's Word is the instructor in meekness to all who read it with, his, with a desire to be more and more like Jesus. And it's always God's Word that's the instructor. It always is. All right? We should not be easily provoked, and meekness never is. We should not insist on standing up for our own rights. Um, we may win an argument but lose a friend, and that's the way you got to look at it. What difference does it make? The meek are the ones that will come to you even when they know that you're wrong and say, forgive me, I'm sorry. And if that, that old boy or that old gal that's standing there could stop long enough to realize that just ain't kosher, folks. Because there's nobody come to you and say, forgive me, I'm sorry, unless they're walking in meekness. They won't do it. Why? Because of the pride. They're flesh. I want to be right. Your flesh always wants to be right. Say, my flesh always wants to be right. Yeah. Your spirit man always wants what's right in God's Word for you. And that's the reason Paul talked about the battle and the clash. Your flesh wants that. It's your spirit wants what God wants. That's where the battle's at, folks. Now, who's caught in the middle of that battle? You and I are. We're right smack dab in the middle of it. Here's the Spirit of God. Uh, Spirit of God. Here's your spirit being guided by the Spirit of God trying to draw you toward God. Here's your flesh trying to draw you toward the world. And just like sometimes you feel like it's trying to pull you in two, don't you? You just feel like there's times when, when you just think that it's just going to absolutely just rip you in half. Because you know, you know you ought to be going this, but dear God in heaven, here I'm going this way. Well, that's the battle. That's the reason we begin, we begin to teach you here and we'll, we'll get into some real depth with spiritual warfare because we want you to understand that this is a spiritual warfare. You can't see it. And the reason you can't see it is the reason unless you're taught within it. It's the lack of knowledge that destroys us. Once we can get you knowledgeable enough to know what's going on, what's going on in your life and your walk with Jesus Christ, you can whip it by the Word of God in Jesus' name. And if you're not, if you're not knowledgeable into these areas, it's going to beat you and beat you and beat you and beat you and beat you until sooner or later you're going to get tired of being beat and you're going to say, yeah, well, that church ain't got it. I'll go down to the next one. And most of you found this one just like you left the last one. Got quiet, didn't it? And I've always told folks, you might as well beat your mountain right here after let it beat you down to the next stop because it's going to be there. I don't care what it is in your life. It's not the preacher's fault. It's not the church's fault. It's not the people's fault. You are your biggest problem. And when you understand that and you can receive that. Now, there again, it takes, <laughs> it takes some growth, folks, to receive that I am my biggest problem. That's the reason you'll hear me every once in a while uh, try to uh, hang that in your spirit, man, good and tight, by having you to uh, confess that I am my biggest problem. Okay? Because what we're trying to do is get you to open up to understand to do anything like people like me do in and out of the Spirit with the Word of God, the name of Jesus Christ, there is a certain amount of your place that's going to have to leave, going to have to get out of your life. Now, it, it depends on how much you've got to get out as to how long it's going to take to really and truly see the blessings of God hunt you down and overtake you. 
Okay, it's going to, and that's up to you. That's never up to me, because uh, like I said, if anybody looks for a shortcut, you're looking at him. If there was any way to take a shortcut to become a spiritual, as we've talked about, you're looking at an old boy that was all going to, we're going to find it. I don't care. It may have took you six years. I can do it in six months. Boy, I'm smarter than you are, and I knew it. Now, what's that? That's ignorance, folks, is what that is, okay? And that's just how ignorant I was. God gave me a very brilliant mind, and I know he did. And I thought, well, hell, I'll just read all this stuff. And guess what? None of it was working in my life, but I was reading it. And that's the reason I know that my knowledge of the Word isn't where this thing's at. It's heart knowledge. You get the Word here. You get the Word here, and you'll begin to find out. Like I, like I keep saying, next time you get upset, listen to what your mouth's saying. If your mouth is saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, this is the Word of God, and you start putting forth words of the Lord, you're in business. If your mouth starts running off of itself and it's things of this world and things of this thing that's not the Word of God, the Bible says that out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. And the only time your mouth will speak that way is when you get in a bind. And you get in a bind, you're going to hear it. And I was reading, I said, there is room in all of our lives to walk closer to God and to clean up the areas within our lives so that we can get this thing down to the place that when the trial of our faith comes, that we are, we are producing this fruit, which will bring the blessings of God upon us. And that's what, and, and it's a learning process. Don't, it's not a spiritual matter of pouring oil on you or laying hands on you. If it was, folks, we could get this thing done for Jesus in, in six months across the face of this earth. Men and women of God, anointing of God, being able to do that. But that's, that, that's not what it's all about. It's all about you coming to the place of, of digging into and receiving the knowledge of God to change your life. That's what this thing's about. And again, I, I, I do understand why that most of us, because carnally, we're lazy. Jesus said, well, your spirit you know, is willing, your flesh is weak. We're, we're carnally, we're lazy. So it's much easier for pastors to keep people in their churches by getting them to believe that they really don't have to do a lot of ardent study in order to grow up in the Word of God. It's easier to do that. Because when you start doing that, then what you're going to start doing is you're going to start stepping on some people's toes because I think here a few weeks ago I asked, how many of you truly are studying an hour a day? And we got one or two hands that went up. And I, and I pointed out to you then that, that you know, then you, you need to take the time and get yourself into that routine and make yourself begin to learn to study an hour a day. And if you're not going to do that kind of stuff, you're going to find out this thing will run over you like a freight train after a while. Because this thing's real. And it really does work, but it won't work if you just, you know, uh, uh, Better cake around with it in your life. In fact, it'll just seem like things get worse instead of better. Now, uh, this thing with a friend, like I said, meekness is love with a bowed head. And I heard a preacher say that once, and I don't know whether he coined the phrase or not, but I really did like it. Meekness is love with a bowed head. It just absolutely will take anything you want. It's kind of, it, it always kind of, meekness always kind of reminds me of that old dog at home that you love so much. Huh? And you get up and have a bad day and that old dog ain't doing quite like you want. You'll just yell at it and scold it and slap it every once in a while. But that old dog just comes right back around there at noon, sits right there in that front porch and put up with it again, won't they? So I'm thinking about that. Let that get in your spirit, man. Because that dog loves you. The dog knows that you're the master. And that dog wants to do what it can do to, to be able to 
uh, to have you to appreciate him. And he'll take a kicking, he'll take a beating, he'll take a cussing, he'll take anything you want to throw at him. But he'll come right back around there, and there he'll be again tomorrow morning. Same way. Well, see, that, that in itself is a type of a meekness. Now, I don't want you to, that's not a spiritual type of meekness, but that is a type of meekness. Uh, to, and man, our flesh, because of our pride, will never let us come to a place of meekness in, in, such, in, in that relationship. Okay? Now, it is a, uh, what meekness really is, uh, I finally got it down here, is a result of total deliverance from the self-life. Meekness is a total deliverance. Meekness will be the last true thing that will really come into your walk. That plus what we're about to teach next, temperance. I should have put those two together, and I tried to in this study, meekness and temperance. But it's really the, these are the last two things that will truly come because there's got to be a lot of deliverance coming in your life before you can walk in this kind of thing. It really does. Now, you can try to act like it for a while, but the problem of it is the acting like it's still the abundance of the heart. Sooner or later, the acting is going to have to stop. And it will. And usually on occasion when everybody in town is standing there watching you. And that's when it even gets tougher. We no longer, uh, we no longer contend for our own rights and honors of positions. Meek people don't care whether they're the, an elder of the church or they're, they mow the grass of the church. The contention that we always have in new churches is, and I call it the pecking order. The animal kingdom has what's called the pecking order, where everybody understands where everybody's got to be. Churches somewhat have to be run the same order. Everybody's got to understand what's going on. And one of the first statements that I made and lost about five or six people right off the bat was, I'm not interested in your opinions or your spirituality. God didn't send you here to enlighten me spiritually. God sent you here to learn the Word of God. And you, if, you know, if you're here for that, other than that reason, the best thing you can do is trot on down the road and find somebody else you can impress with your spirituality because I'm not interested in it. I far surpassed being interested in people's spirituality. I am interested in what you know in the Word of God and what's in your life within the Word of God and the performance of which you are as an ambassador of Christ for Christ in your life. That's what I'm interested in. And if that's not being produced, I don't care how many dreams, how many visions, or how many times you stand on your head and spin around in circles and speak in tongues. I see that a lot of people like, oh, that's just me, oh, that's... That's just the way it is, folks. We have played pity-patter with the church long enough. It's time to either get down to business with this thing or let the flakes keep a-flaking because there's going to be some people going to come into this thing and going to grow up in the Word of God. But to grow up, there's going to have to be a depth of teaching come forth, and there's going to have to be people understand that I ain't quite made it there yet, and I'm going to have to grow. And you can't do it if you think you've already grown up. You're wasting your time in this church. And I've said it for years and years and years. As far as I'm concerned, if you come into a deliverance church, you just got started because there's going to be a lot of things you're going to have to unlearn to learn, a lot of things, because there's a lot of this junk that people weren't this charismatic movement, the full gospel movement, that's just a bunch of junk that's got no scriptural base at all. It's just somebody's opinion that sounded good, so we'll get a hold of it and get on the bandwagon. And a lot of that stuff is easier to believe because your flesh don't have to do nothing, just kind of hang around and be cool. Well, it's not quite that way. Let's, if you will, listen to this. Meekness is free from retaliation when scorned, rebuked, mistreated, dishonored, or misrepresented in any way. It's always, it's always free from retaliation. That's kind of like that dog that I was talking about. Meekness is love at its best and most refined state. It is. It's there. And like I said, that, that's, that's one of the last things you're going to see happen. That's one of the last things you're truly going to be able to see happen. Because I'm going to tell you something. People with meekness 
and this next thing we're about to get into, meeting the temper, temperance, those kind of people know who they are in Jesus Christ. Those kind of people truly can say, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do when they say nasty things about them and everything else. They're not the ones that say, well, I'm going home and get on my face and pray and bind that stinking devil up in them. No, they're the ones that say they just flat don't know what they're doing. They just hate them. And then they'll pray for you. They'll pray for you every time. And I'm, I'm convinced after this many years, the praying for you is a lot worse than going home and binding you up. Because the praying for you is going to, as the Bible says, going to keep coals upon you. And it's hard to see. But there again, uh, we don't understand enough of our flesh man. The thing our flesh man wants to do is show that other person they're wrong. And or, you know, one time, and I'll tell this very quickly, one time, there was a sister attended the church over in Illinois, and we had done everything we knew uh, to help this gal because this gal was really in dire straits, and we did everything we knew. I mean, we we just absolutely she just uh, she just kept opposing herself every time she turned around, and we tried to we'd go to her and restore her, get her back going in the Word of God, and, and finally uh, she got so upset that she called me the devil and she left the church. Well. I wasn't going to go uh, to her because I don't make a practice of that. I believe that you have a free will. You need to exercise that free will. And who am I? If you don't want to be in this church, who am I to come to your home, beat on the door, and ask you to come back? Well, if it's not the will of God you to be here, I'm violating your will and God's will. So I figure we're big boys and girls. You know whether you ought to be here or you ought to be here. But there again, folks, we've spent so many times in the traditional churches, we're going to pat you on the head and we're going to do everything we can do to keep you in the church and to keep you, here's the pacifier, you suck on it, and we're going to keep you happy. Okay? And then when we get down to really having church, like they really had church in the book of Acts, I think they burnt the pacifiers. I don't think you're going to find where the pacifiers were drug out. Now, I've got a great big one over there in Illinois that if anybody needs it from here, you can check it out. I said, you go over and check it out for the week, but return it, okay? So somebody else, now that's a joke, so don't, don't go on. You'll get used to my sense of humor before long, I hope. So anyway, the gal, the gal, uh, really had said some nasty things. So anyway, I, I went to the gal with her sister. And I went to her, and this is what the Lord told me to do. The Lord said, I want you to take your belt off, and I want you to hand her the belt, and I want you to tell her, that you're going to bury your back, and she's to take that belt and wrap it around her hand with a belt buckle and beat you till you bleed until a breath of your life is only left. Maybe then she'll forgive you. And I went and did just what God told me to do. And that woman looked at me, and she said, I never thought of it that way, but she said, that's the problem, isn't it? She said, I want to hurt you. And she said, I don't even know why. I said, well, honey, I said, hey, you know, that's, it beat me. If that, that'll give you the revenge, I don't care whether you come back to the church that I'm ministering in, but we want you to go on with Jesus Christ. And that's our whole goal, folks. It isn't, it isn't whether or not you stay in this church. Our whole goal is you get somewhere that you can get past this flaky uh, word that's been preached in 99.9% .9 of these churches and get to a depth where you can grow up in this thing and be of some help to Jesus Christ instead of a hindrance to him. Because your witness, and most of the witness of the church today, stinks on the face of this earth. People are looking at your lives and laughing at Jesus Christ. Because you and I can't muster up enough within ourselves to represent Christ as ambassadors of which we are of him 
to make a difference. And most people want to be like that, be like Christ. Because they say, well, look, if they've got Jesus, we want to be like that. See, that's what the world, that's what your neighbors, the people in the job are looking at. You get on that job and you've got that look on your face that you, you have uh, 99% of the time and get over there and get to looking at the wrong books and listen to the jokes and participate in this. And this. Well, they don't need that. What are you proving to them? Not a thing. But when this fruit's being produced in your life, i got news for you. Just sit up and take notice. They'll know. They'll absolutely know. I'm the boilermaker. People come in and say, welders come to me and say, there's something different about you, boy. There is really something different about you. I said, yeah, his name's Jesus. I said, you hang around long enough, you'll, I said, he, he'll get you. I said, he'll get you. I said, you hang around long enough, he'll get you. And sure enough, before I got done with the last job I was on, at noon hour in the summertime, we, we'd have portal makers sitting all over that steel listening to the Word of God. Listening to the Word of God. Why? Because you see, that's what the world's looking for, folks. And if you and I can't produce Jesus, they ain't going to find him. Because the world ain't all going to come into the church. See, we, we have waited and let the, tried to let the church get the world saved for years. You are the church. I am the church. We have to go out in the hedges, the highways. You and I have to do that individually. This thing, well, they'll come in the church and get saved. Well, no. Let's get, let's get on with the program. Amen. Now, temperance, and I guess the best way to put that is just simply a question. What is temperance? And it's simply the power of self-control. That's what it is. And I'm going to tell you what, if, if anything else we've done here, don't get on your toes, this one will. This one will get right on top of your toes and go jumping up and down. Because it is the power of self-control. And self-control is the biggest lack in all of our lives. In all of our lives. Everybody's life. Starting right here. I want you to listen again. Everybody's life starting here. And going back, all of our lives, there is need for more self-control. We just flat don't have any temperance. In Second Peter, and let's uh, let's look there. In Second Peter, Second Peter, one six, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. So, and you can read all that. We're not going to go through that, but it's talking about, and that order is given there. We'll get into that order before long. Is real. That's the order in which all of it works. And we got, you get the knowledge, and uh, when knowledge, you get knowledge, then temperance will come. So, you see the base of what I've been teaching you, of getting you to understand, you've got to get knowledgeable in the Word of God first. That's the first thing that's got to happen to you. This isn't a laying on of hands or pouring out of the horn of oil on you to anoint you. This is you receiving knowledge from God's Word first. Then after that, temperance is going to come. It's going to come. And to temperance comes patience. Now, if you were here uh, Thursday night, we talked about patience and faith. And the reason I didn't want to touch this then was because now. And I, oh, hopefully, again, you can understand everything we're doing here is building one block on top of the other. That's the reason if you can't make service in the name of Jesus, at least get the tapes and try to take the time to sit down and listen because we're not, I'm, not, I'm not just coming down here to, 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 to try to put on some kind of a show for you to, to, to babysit you for an hour, an hour and a half every time I'm down here. I'm down here trying to bring you to a depth that you don't know, that you've never walked in. And if you ever get there, you'll understand what's going on. Until you do, you're going to keep fighting against it. You're going to keep kicking against it. You're going to keep trying to do it your way. But I'm going to here to tell you again this morning, you've tried it your way. Let's do it God's way. 
God's way will work. But you see, the order is here. You'll never see patience come. That patience, which, again, if you were here with Thursday night, the importance of patience working with faith is to the utmost. Now, in order for that patience to truly come, so I'm just, see, you can take, you can take that tape that we did Thursday night and you put it right on top of this tape with fruit of the Spirit now. Because it will tie hand in hand with it, with this, these statements. Because now, in order for everything to work out for you that we ministered Thursday night in faith, you're going to have to produce, you're going to have to produce and bring temperance into your life. You're going to have to. Because that temperance will bring, with it, it will bring, absolutely bring the patience to work the faith. It will bring it. Without the temperance, no patience. You're taking notes. You want to write that down. Without self-control, self-control, there will be no patience. Never is, if you'll stop and think about it. And that's not, that's not too tough to think about, I don't think. Now, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 9, and in 25, it says, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things, and they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And that's what this whole thing's about. Get yourself understanding that this is not what you're laying up here on earth. It's what we're laying up in heaven. What we're laying up in heaven. Now, you know, I've often thought if the Lord God had a, uh, and He and really it, it's worked out that way in the book, but I suppose if, if uh, we could really understand that every time you lead somebody to Jesus, as the old adage is, is putting another uh, feather in your hat, actually another uh, uh, jewel in your crown, uh, we'd work at a lot harder if we could understand what that really is going to do for us when we get into the hereafter, the eternal life. Uh, we'd do a lot, a lot harder work toward that, my brothers and sisters, as some of us are trying to do for a carnal piece of thing called business here on the face of this earth, whether it's a job that you work at or whether or not it's a business that you own. If you'd work as hard as that, as that, because you see all you're doing now is feeding your mouths and paying bills. Somebody say amen. Come on. That other thing is going to be something for eternity. Absolute eternity. That's the reason that if we, if we can ever get the church back on the right track and get the church to understand what's going on in these last days. And understanding that right now the most important thing is bringing this harvest into the kingdom. And you can't bring the harvest into the kingdom when you've got yourself so many bills that you've got to work 24 hours every, every day and a half so that you can start doing all that. You, you, folks, it can't be done. You've got yourself into a bondage. You say, well, how can I get out of the bondage? Well, you just have to work that out. I don't have any idea. I had to work myself out of the bondage. So I'm the one that got us in it financially when I a long time ago. Somebody in there, wasn't any airplanes fly over and dump any money. We worked it out a month at a time for seven years, as a matter of fact. Boy, did we learn a lesson. You're looking at some people that might know how to handle money because we didn't know how, and we learned. Now, God could have made a way and sent people to us and give us that money. would have just done the same thing with ministry and the ministry money today as we did with our own money. Amen? Sure we would have. But no, God had another idea. God's, God's plan is always to teach us something. That's what God's plan is. It's always to teach us something if we'll let it teach us, okay? Now, uh, <clears throat> It is a requirement for church officers, and this is important for you to understand. In Titus, let's look in the book of Titus, little book of Titus. Titus, the second chapter, the second verse. 
that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, and charity, and patience. Now, and, and what they're talking about here now is, is people that are the head of running the churches. So it's required for that. In Titus 1, 7, and 8, it simply says for a bishop, and the, and the interpretation of the word bishop can be that of, of, a, of a minister under the body of Christ, must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, okay, not soon angry, not given to wine, not striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. Hey, thank you again so much. That's